Good morning, Ohana. Hey, you want me to tell you something wonderful besides Jesus? Jesus is wonderful, but it's also wonderful that I don't have to sing in the choir anymore because that's not wonderful. Eh? <laughs> was it, wasn't it a choir a blessing this morning? Amen. Just the whole worship was a blessing. <clears throat> I want us to start us off by, by telling you a story of back when I was in college. And for my mom that's going to watch this on Facebook Live, I'm sorry I never told you this. But um, when I was in college, we used to do this event called broom hockey. And y'all are like, what's broom hockey? Well, us crazy people would go to a hockey ring after hours in tennis shoes and play hockey with soccer balls. And at the, the biggest part of this event, we had 45 people on a hockey ring with sticks in their hand shooting three soccer balls at things. It was, it was glorious, and all y'all are like, ice, ice. What is this about ice? No, that was a cool runnings reference for y'all guys. Um, but so this was the highlight event of the semester. In the fall, it would be closer to Christmas. In the spring, it was like we're going back to school, so we're going to play broom hockey. Now, my story is this. The people in charge made me drive one day. And wasn't the best idea. So as we were driving to this place on the interstate, you know, us college kids are a little crazy. So we started speeding and started passing each other and playing this game. Now the story goes is I got behind somebody I thought was the line leader. I thought. And my roommate, who was in the back seat, was like, hey man, that's your exit right there. And I was like, what? No, this guy. And then I saw all the cars, including who I thought was following, take this exit. So me going mm, roughly 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, which would probably be around 80, swerved. We swerved through three lanes of traffic to hit this exit because I didn't want to miss the destination. Now, that's not the smartest thing for somebody to do, but we got to the destination safely. Um, everything was clenched, though, there for a little while because we didn't know we, if we were going to make it. But what's the point of the story? Is if we didn't see that sign, we would have missed the destination. And so I wanted to talk about this in the book of Mark. We're studying, we're picking back up in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, turn with them, turn with me in them to Mark chapter 13. And we've, we're starting a new uh, series, a sermon series, because what is it? It's December. It's December already. I lost, I, was, I, was, I was lost in the shuffle of Thanksgiving. And so since it's December, we're starting a series called The Sign of Christmas. And here's the heart of the series. If you can look at the screen with me and read it as we go through this. This is the heart of our series today. It is to identify key biblical principles concerning the ministry of Christ. Christmas from a biblical platform does not end at the birth of Christ. Ouch. Still, it also continues through his earthly ministry through three foundational platforms. Platform number one, his year of foundation. Number two, his year of popularity. And three, his year of completion. Christmas points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in the light of that, the heart of that series, if you could stand with me, and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, 
and as we read God's word together, starting in verse 1. Everybody there? Amen? Verse 1 says this, And he came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he said on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus said to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, for this must, must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 9, be on guard, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils, and you will, be in, you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when, you, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand of what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents, and, they have, and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we start this series called Signs of Christmas, this is not a typical Christmas message, but Lord, you are sovereign, and the story of the gospel is the Christmas message. Lord, so may we open our ears, open our eyes, move our hearts to align with yours this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. So as we, as we jump into this new series, I wanted to talk about this series in particular before we dive into the text. And to understand the series, we must have a healthy approach to, to looking at the signs of Christmas before we can de- dive into the Word. And as we look at the signs of Christmas, we, we must examine our own hearts. And there's two ways we examine our own hearts. That is based upon the worldview, our worldview, all right? So we come from two distinctly worldviews. There's, there's plenty in this room, but there's two distinct worldviews that are here. The first worldview is the Western worldview. The second is the Christian worldview. So out of these two worldviews that most of us in this room possess in our hearts, we have to ask questions. What are those questions? In the Western worldview... What is Christmas? What is Christmas? And out of the Christian worldview, we must ask, what is the purpose of Christmas? 
And so let's, let's just jump in at the Western worldview. What is Christmas? That worldview says whatever just popped into your head. Whatever just popped into your head, the holiday season, the Christmas lights. Like for me as a child, what I looked forward to every Christmas was those fat Sears catalogs that came in with anything, any toy you would ever need in your life. And so what you would do is you would mark the pages and highlight and and write down, and then you would leave it by your mom's bedside table or in the bathroom so they could see it and look at the 300 things you marked you wanted for Christmas. But then some people think of family. Some people, their Christmas is revolved around going to grandma's house. This is our worldview. We think of Christmas lights. My kids are excited. They see Santa blown up with an airplane in HPP. All these are a part of our worldview. We think of gifts under the tree. Some people think of snow. They dream of a white Christmas in a very deep voice. Some people think of Mariah Carey. All I want is for Christmas is you. And if I had Mariah Carey's voice, I would be up in the choir. But all this shifted. All this shifted around the 19th century. See, before the 19th century, Christmas was based upon the birth of Christ. But then a secularization of Christmas happened, and then it became, it, it became more about gifts. T- to the point where in 1889, 1889, A very long, long time ago, the American magazine defined the meaning of Christmas as this, to give up of one's very self and to think of others, how to bring the greatest happiness to others. That is the true meaning of Christmas. That's how they defined Christmas in a, in a Christian nation that we think about from all the old religious times. This is how they define Christmas. They missed the whole meaning of Christmas. So that's, that's how we look at the westernized worldview of what is Christmas. Now, secondly, let's look at the Christian worldview. What is the purpose of Christmas? And the purpose is simple. The answer is found in this book in a prophecy 700 years before what we're reading today. It comes out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. And it says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God, which means God with us. That is, which, that is the Christian worldview we have to perceive this text from. Which break, broke down that the meaning of Christmas is that God is no longer physically distant from his people. That God is with us. That in our junk, God came down to be with us. From heaven, the treasured Son of God the Father came down to be with us on this earth. We see that in multiple scriptures. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his one and only. We see that in Luke 2, which is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. It is where the angel came to Mary and said, behold, you're going to conceive even though you're pure. You're going to conceive and you're going to call him Emmanuel. God is with us. That is the fulfillment of the Isaiah passage. Then we see from the Gospel of John, John 1.14, Jesus became flesh and dwelt. A couple weeks ago, we, we learned about Abraham. Abraham pitched his tent with his people. That is what Christ did for us. He didn't stay in heaven. 
He could have supplied a way from heaven, but that is not the plan God had in store. See, out of both of these worldviews is how we perceive everything. And I'll give you an example of this. Most of you are not in the same field of work that I am. With being in concrete, I have a concrete worldview. All right? You follow me here? Let's break it down even more. I have a concrete worldview. So when I go to a business, everybody's like, oh, it's a nice sidewalk. No, I'm looking at the grooves on the sidewalk to see how the finishers did. That's my worldview. That's my uh, perspective that none of y'all have. And so when we look at our own worldviews, we see the world in different lenses. But those are the common two lenses we have in this room. Amen? Y'all follow me? Because out of those lenses, we're going to see signs. So the signs are what brings attention to our worldviews. But here's the nature and challenges of signs. Signs can either keep us on or keep us off the right path. Just like that story in the opening. If we didn't see that sign, we would have been in Alabama before we knew what happened to us. Signs keep us on the right path. Signs can either uh, protect us or destroy us. How many of you live in HPP? Give me a show of hands. Or how many of you visit HPP ever? Give me a show of hands. If you take Kaloli up to the highway and you miss that stop sign, what's going to happen to you? Yeah, (laughs) you're going to get destroyed. So that sign is there to protect you. Just like all the stops. Think of if Hilo had no stop signs. The chaos. The chaos. We have trouble with roundabouts. But here's the thing too. Too many signs can be a distraction. There are religious groups that focus more on the sign than the destination. You follow me? They focus more on the signs than the destination. Which is also fallacy. That's, that leads to destruction. <clears throat> so the key for us today, as we jump into the text, the key for us is understanding signs in the correct context. Is understanding signs in the correct context. So out of our, out of our passage, here are two signs of Christmas from our text today. Sign number one, the destruction of the temple. That comes from verses one and two. And as as he came out of the temple, the disciples said, ooh, ah, so shiny. And then Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another. See, when we look at the importance of the temple, we, I think us in American, in our westernized worldview, we have a weird look at the temple. We kind of see the temple as, as here, us today, the church building. But that is not what the temple was back in the day. See, the, the, the temples for the Jewish people was the place. It was it. You see, that's where the Holy of Holies was. That's where the Shekinah glory of God the Father dwelt. That's where the Ark of the Covenant. So everybody that's seen Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, that's where it dwelled. That's where the mercy seat was placed on the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the high priest would 
would do sacrifices for the whole nation. That's where there was communion with God. That's where the treasure of the nation of Israel was. That's where their history was based from. That was the center of their faith and the center of their government. The temple is the focus point to all Jewish society. But the temple was also an engineering feat. Think about this. Um, Josephus, the Jewish scholar, the Jewish historian back in the day, said these stones that Jesus was talking about, these stones that Jesus were talking about was about that high from the floor and the size of this stage. They were 38 feet by 18 feet by 12 feet. They were 200 tons apiece. Think about that. Who's going to go in? Who's going to go in there and flip that? We have to have cranes for stuff like that nowadays. But yet, that's how the temple was made. The temple held one million people in a city of a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. It held one million people. It was covered with gold. There was gold inlay all around the building. Think about that. Think about gold enough to hold, you know, on a building big enough to hold a million people. The disciples were in awe of the beauty, just like I would be and probably most of us. But Jesus comes in here with a statement. He's, he says, not so fast. Not so fast. This is not the point. You are focused on the physical importance of the temple, but let's look at it spiritually. Let's draw your attention to the spiritual need, the spiritual sign of the temple. So because we have a weird view of the temple, like a perceived view, we come from the westernized worldview, I want you to think about your Bible. If you got a Bible, put your finger in it or hold it up. Let everybody see it. You got a Bible, hold it up. What if all those Bibles disappeared? So what if every app on your phone that has the Bible, every Bible in your house, every Bible in this, on this island vanished? There was one Bible. There was one Bible on this whole island, and it was on Mauna Kea. And to get, intake the Word, to hear the teaching of the Word, to come to Sunday church, you had to travel to Mauna Kea every day, is what the Jews would do. They would go every day to hear the Word preached. That, that takes a lot more effort than just driving five minutes on the road to come to church on Sunday. But then a teacher comes about, and the teacher says, you no longer have access to Mauna Kea. You can no longer hear the word of God taught. What would that do to you? First off, if it does nothing, there should be some questions there. But what would that do to your spirit? And that is what Jesus is telling the disciples. That's what the disciples are perceiving is that where the word of God is taught, Jesus ministered in the temple almost every Sabbath. We've studied the book of Mark for years now. Every Sabbath, he's in the temple preaching 
or calling out Pharisees or calling out somebody. He is a part of the temple. And in their worldview, so we're going back to worldview, in the disciples' worldview, they think Jesus is going to establish his throne in the temple, that he's going to reign supreme in the temple. So Jesus comes out with this phrase, and he's like, what does this even mean? They were perplexed. They didn't understand. For these disciples, it was absurd to think that the temple would no longer exist. It was their focal point of daily life. But in their point of view, the point for this, the point is the temple was a means and not the end. You see, it changed their worldview that Jesus turns things upside down. He changes your worldview the moment you become a Christian. So Jesus is telling these disciples, everything's about to change. Jesus' whole ministry, if we look back through the Gospel of Mark that we preached for years, he changed everything. He turned things upside down. Look, he, came, he was born as a human servant. He didn't come as the conquering king that the disciples wanted. Then John 1 tells us that he became flesh, like we read earlier, and lived with us. That is not a kingly thing to do. Most of the time, kings isolate and only have servants around us. But we have seen the connection between the temple and God's word. But now we see that Jesus, in this verse, John 1, 4, 14, says that Jesus is now the word. So that longing, that desire inside the disciples' hearts to hear the word being taught, Jesus says, it's actually me, guys. Jesus was the means to and the end. Look, here's a reality truth for us. Look at it on the screen. Christmas, just like the temple, is a physical picture of spiritual truth. Though the temple would pass away, just like the season of Christmas passes by, though God's word will endure forever. The temple is no longer for a purpose. Its purpose passed away. But the concern is, is sometimes as we look at the, as we look at the temple, us Christians view Christmas as the Jews viewed the temple. We think Christmas is the end. Oh, well, God saved me. Jesus came to this earth and God saved me. Look at the wonderful stones or look at the beautiful Christmas trees. Look at the beautiful ornaments. Look at the beautiful lights. But could we be deceived by only celebrating the first Christmas? Jesus is pointing out to his disciples there will no longer be a need for the temple. The sacrificial system that the temple represented, so that's where all the sacrifices was made, he says, it's going to be in me. There's no longer going to be a need for the, the doves and the cows and the, all the sacrifices that needed to be made. Because I'm the Messiah, I'm Emmanuel, and I'm here with you. The temple, listen to this, the temple was a foreshadow of Christ. The, the temple was a foreshadow of Jesus, which is the means 
and the end for us. You follow? That Jesus is the word. And so we, we long for the word. We need the word in our life. We need God's word within us. But then he's also the end. We get to spend all eternity with him. We get to spend all eternity with him. Which leads us to the second sign. This sign number two, the reconstruction of the temple. This is, comes from verses 3 through 13. See, in this passage, Jesus is not just talking about the destruction of the temple. He's also talking about its reconstruction. <clears throat> he does this by emphasizing three major doctrines that we're going to talk about today. Three. The doctrine of the church, the doctrine of Christ's return, and the doctrine of end times. So as we break down these verses, there was, there was a pastor that said something that I thought was very important for this passage. Alistair Begg said this, plain things are main things, and main things are plain things. That's simple enough. Got a little rhyme to it. What does he mean? If you read commentaries, if you pick random commentaries and read it on this passage, 15, if you pick 15 of them, they're going to say 15 different things about how the details of this work, works out. About the end times. There's much speculation over this. But here's the thing. We got to see the main things in this text. And those are the three things that we pointed out earlier. Because speculation, we can live in speculation and get absolutely nothing done. So let's focus on the things that need to get done. And the purpose of these things, uh, the purpose of this is not how things are going to play out. This is not the purpose, but rather how to remain faithful in these main things. What are the main things? What is the main things of Christianity? The gospel the message that Jesus is now with us. The message of Christ, that Jesus saves sinners, that, that he's purifying his people. He's ushering in a new kingdom of God. The message that he's reconstructing the temple. That is the main part of all of Scripture. That's the main part of this text. So how here, how is he reconstructing the temple? Jesus gives us clear signs of how to prepare for the glorified Christmas. First, we must understand the first doctrine, the doctrine of the church. The church is no longer a physical place, a physical temple that you visit, but a physical people that God lives within. He says this in the verses. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say in front of the courts. Why? Because you got the Holy Spirit within you. You have the Holy Spirit that's going to utter those words for you on my behalf. The church is no longer the building because the Holy Spirit indwells his people. Doctrine number two, the doctrine of Christ's return. Look at, let's look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew's version of, of Mark 13, 3 through 4. Should be on the screen. Matthew 24, 3, he says this. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of age? It's clearly about the end of age. 
This is about the return of Christ. And he said, Jesus wants us to know that he will return, but that's not the sign they should be concerned about. Listen to these verses. Acts 1-7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Matthew 24-36, later on in that chapter, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but, only the, but the Father only. We can focus, these signs are biblical, and we can look at them, but we shouldn't make them our focus. There's too many crazies out there saying, this is when Jesus is going to come back. Uh, political uh, affiliations and all this junk. Jesus never promised that. Jesus says, I don't even, I'm the son of God, and I don't even know when the return's going to happen. So don't worry about it. And then lastly, <coughs> the doctrine of end times. Jesus gave us clear signs of what, what this end time is going to look like. First off, that many will come in my name. We see this all around today. We see this happening. We see it when we turn on our TV and there's a, usually a bad preacher on the TV that says, give to me because I can make intercession with God. What is that? That is temple theology. That is called the high priest. And Jesus came to be your high priest. No longer do you need somebody to intercede between you and God the Father because that was Jesus Christ the Son. But so many preachers are like, if you give me money, I'll go on your behalf so you can get that blessing. I'll, get, I'll do this. I will pray a prayer of forgiveness for you. I will heal you if you give me money. All in the name of Jesus. And when in this passage, when he says, I am he, what that translates to in Hebrew is calling themselves I am, which is the name of God of the Old Testament. When he spoke to all the Old Testament prophets, he said, I am. And that's what it translates to that many will come in my name, but call themselves me. Secondly, we see wars and rumors of wars. Is there anything new about that now? This has been around for centuries, and it's going to stay. Nothing's going to change. We're not going to see peace until Christ returns. Number three, we see natural disasters. We've been around some natural disasters here in Hawaii. Especially this island between hurricanes and volcanoes and earthquakes and all the above. We see that. But I want you to look at this passage of scripture. Let this change your thought about natural disasters. Romans 8, 19 through 20 says this. 19. For the creation waits with eager longing to reveal of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you hear that? Do you hear that longing for redemption in, in the earth? 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. When Adam and Eve sinned, it not only broke the human race, but it broke the earth too. And so it's longing to be freed from that sin. There's a groaning within the earth itself, and I believe that's where natural disasters come from. And if you get into science, I believe that's where plate tectonics, but that's a whole different subject. But we see natural disasters is a sign of the end times. And lastly, we see persecution of Christians in verses 9 through 13. Did you hear the depths of those? Father against son, son against father. Families being torn apart. Christians will stand in front of the courts. We see this in the passage too. And this is not a foreign concept for right now. In Nigeria, which is close to the the video we watched last week from uh, the International Mission Board, in 2019, approximately 1,350 Christians were killed for their faith. How many days in a year? 365? Over 100 a day? I think... Through our prayer week of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, this week we learned that in the whole of 2019, almost 3,000 Christians died for their faith. Persecution is happening. Persecution still exists in this world today. And it's not going to go away. Because why? Verse number eight, at the very end. These are all but the beginning of birth pains. This is just the beginning. For you men in here that it's experienced a little bit of birth pains through your wife holding your hand and squeezing it almost off? Did it get better until the baby arrived? No, that was just the beginning. And that's what Christ is saying. It's, it's going to go much deeper than this. But how does Jesus tell his disciples to respond to this? How does Jesus tell his disciples to, to how does he warn them? Verse 5, see that no one leads you astray. Verse 7, do not be alarmed. Verse 9, but be on guard. Verse 10, the gospel must first be proclaimed. Verse 11, do not be anxious. What is Jesus saying here? Don't sweat the stuff you cannot control. Don't sweat the stuff you cannot control. Endure, be on guard, and know that I am with you to the very end. Know that I am with you. That is what Christ is saying. Don't sweat the stuff you, the earthquakes and the natural disasters. Because if you got me, you got the sovereign key. Here's what I'm worried about out of these warnings, though. Out of the doctrine of end times, here's what I'm worried about is that not many of us in here are the false teachers. We're not leading many people astray. We're not, we're not the ones preaching a false gospel to the public, but we're preaching a false gospel to ourselves. What is that gospel? 
You can do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Bill. Don't tell yourself that false gospel. Here's our biblical truth. Jesus is reconstructing his temple. The local church, by the preaching of the gospel and advancement of, the, of his kingdom among uh, his kingdom activity among the nations. Jesus is reconstructing his temple, the local church, by preaching the gospel and the advancement of his kingdom of activity among the nations. Look at me. You can walk through these doors today and still think Christmas is only about the first coming of Christ. You can think of the baby in the manger and think that's enough for you. You can think of the Christmas season, the lights, the gifts. Oh, Jesus came. Jesus is love. So he came to give his life for me and totally miss the second coming. The second coming is the one that's going to make the first coming obsolete. That's when Jesus doesn't come as the lamb anymore. That's when Jesus comes as the lion. That's when Jesus won't come as the suffering servant. He'll come as the commander of God's holy army. He's not going to come in weakness uh, the second time. He's going to come in strength. He's not going to come as the servant. He's going to come as the sovereign king. He's not going to come with only the shepherds knowing his name. He's going to come with every knee bowed and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. So do you know him as Lord today? Are you too wrapped up in the first Christmas to to see that the second one's coming? Look, the point of the first Christmas was the death at Easter. And the death of Easter is pointing us to the second Christmas. Don't miss that. That Jesus came to serve you. He came to love you. He came to to divide that curtain of hostility between you and God. He came to redeem you. He came to set you free. He came to restore the the relationship that Adam and Eve broke with God the Father. He did that. But he's coming again on a great white horse. And he's going to call everyone up. So are you ready for the second coming? Are you ready for that, Jesus? Before we, before we respond today, I want to share with you a quote. And I want you to hear these words. Actually, everybody close your eyes and bow your head. I want to read this quote over you. It's from Greg Bartholomew. The goal of God's redemptive work is to restore his creation from the effects of sin on it. In his death, Jesus has conquered sin. Can I get a Hallelujah. And in his resurrection, he has inaugurated a new era of salvation and recovery. The kingdom banquet is ready to be enjoyed. 
but it does not begin just yet. More people must be gathered to the banquet table so that they, they too may taste the renewing power of the coming age. This, in between time, after Jesus' first coming and before the, uh, he comes again, is a time of mission for the ex- exalted Christ, the Spirit, and the church. Why do you think when we take communion, it's a little wafer and a little cup? Because it's only a taste of what will happen in the future. When we get to sit in front of the buffet table in heaven and see the Holy God. But there's mission to be had here and now. So how, how do we respond today? How do we respond today? Trust the gospel. Trust the message of Christ. That he came once, he died, he rose, and he's coming again. That he's going to come back with fury. The sky is going to be rolled back, and there he comes. And that shouldn't scare the Christian. That should make you excited. Because no longer are you in a body trapped with sin, but you are being set free, holy and eternally, by being glorified with Christ Jesus. So yes, this Christmas season, remember the first Christmas that God dwelt with us, that he lived a perfect life. He sacrificed it, and then he raised him and ascended. But prepare, but prepare for the second Christmas to come. And until then, until that happens, what do we need to do? Live on mission. How do we live on mission here at Ohana Church? It's simple. Our strategy. Gather, grow, and go. Gather together faithfully on Sunday in Ohana groups. Bring people with you grow, daily spend time with Jesus and his word. Look, it's not on Mauna Kea. We have it with us every day. Use it. Abide in it. You version plans like we're going through Ohana groups is a great way to do that. And lastly, go. I mean, we might not be able to go right now because of craziness of coronavirus, that aka the earth is groaning. But we have a way to give to go. And that's through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, as Lane shared earlier. You can also go by inviting people here. Invite friends and family to come to the service. December 20th is going to be a special event. That's when, if you ask most people that normally would say, I'm not going to go to church, if you're like, come to our Christmas service. That's one of the highest attended Sundays for a reason. Use it to your advantage. Gather, grow, and go. Lastly, before we end, our reality truth. Christmas is not just a sign of the birth of Christ, but a total overhaul of, what, of how we view our lives and live in light of Christ. May God change your worldview today. May Christ change your worldview today. And as we, as we pray, 
May you be the reconstructed temple of Christ as you leave this building. Be on mission. Use your worldview appropriately. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, we come to you today. Lord, change our hearts. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. May we be a people holy and acceptable. Lord, may we see you as your first coming as a suffering servant, but may we also focus our attention on the destination, which is the final coming, Lord. The second coming, when the skies roll back. Lord, may our attention be solely on you. Lord, as we, as we live out this Christmas season, yes, let's be all festive. But let's also, in our festivities, may we point people to the coming Messiah again. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. And God's people said.